Hello and welcome to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and let's get right into it. I know I am a day late. That was intentional because, you know, worlds and play-ins. The, the last two games were on Tuesday, so uh, if I recorded at four in the afternoon, four or five in the afternoon, like I normally do, I would have been recording in the middle of the first game of... Uh, the last day of play it's so bumped a day so I could discuss the entirety of play ins, mostly those two games, because those are the most relevant results to the rest of the discussion, which is the group stage. So end of play play and knockouts Saturday, Saturday, no Sunday, no Monday. Good Lord. Yes. Monday, Monday. <laughs> Monday went about as expected with Mad Lions and uh, DFM getting the convincing wins. Uh, a few years ago, that would not have been the case. Uh, obviously, Mad beating Saigon Buffalo, like a European team beating, beating a Vietnamese team. Obviously, like, that tracks. That, that should happen. But a Japanese team beating a Brazilian team until, like, Two years ago, that wouldn't have really been a thing. But DFM got the convincing win over Loud, and they moved on and got the prize of playing RNG in a best of five. And I had hope for them after game one. They looked good. They got the win. And then game two started. And it was... It was just all downhill. It, it was just all downhill for, uh, for DFM. It was all downhill for DFM from there. E EG was just... EG versus Mad Lions? EG was just the better team. That is the best they've looked since Worlds started. Heck, that, that's probably the best they looked since Danny left the team. Like... Obviously, it was it was mostly um, impact. Impact's their what is it? Im impact is uh, is impact their yeah. Impact's their top liner. Inspired. It was the two of them. It was mostly impact and inspired doing you know most of the work. Like JoJo Vulcan and uh, JoJo Vulcan and Kiori had had some big plays. And everyone was everyone was memeing about the uh, the bald eagle sculpture named Jojo, which is hilarious because Jojo Pune is Canadian, and they eventually they eventually fixed that and uh, put a picture the the picture. On, on the analyst desk stage in the aftermath of uh, of EG sweeping Mad Lions, the the eagle perching on the back of the moose was very funny. Like that was that was hysterical. Like I was I was laughing my ass off at that. That was very funny. And like. And the uh, the emotional support Tibbers plushies with the world hoodies that was that was really funny too. They they gave that to uh, 
They gave that as a quick shot because uh, he was he was also outnumbered on the analyst desk yesterday with uh, with two NA casters and then him. So yeah, that was that was very funny. the the whole The whole broadcast was really funny because after the first game, they then uh, they then gave the emotional support Timbers plushes to uh, Lyric and the other guy whose name I'm totally blanking on because they're both LPL casters. And and then, you know, games two through four happened and. And RNG got uh, got a very convincing three one win, and the the stat was that play in knockouts games like elimination games in play ins. It's always eight games. It's always eight, and uh, this year it was only seven, which cool. And they got the sweep, uh, suck it EU. And we're, we're just, we, we just kick off the matches on fr- Friday afternoon with another NA versus EU match. The first game of group stage is cloud nine versus fanatic on Friday from, uh, New York. Yeah. New York. Cause New York is next. Then it's Atlanta. It's New York, Atlanta, San Francisco. So it's New York for the next two weeks. It's it's New York for all of group stage. And then the first two matches of, or uh, quarterfinals. Yeah, the, the four, the four quarters finals matches are in New York. And then semis are in Atlanta. Finals are in San Fran. But let's get to, let's get to my actual predictions. Cause I, I'm going to look at my pick again. Because I made it yesterday, after after the games went final. So we're gonna look at my pickums again and see what I currently have, and see if any of my choices here are gonna change. Honestly, yeah, I'm I'm about Group A is such a group of death, like T1, EDG, Cloud9, Fnatic. This group is not fair. <laughs> group A is just disgusting. But I'm going to do a thing here. I'm going to put Cloud9 in second place. I originally had T1 and EDG in first and second. But then, and I may be huffing a crap ton of North American hopium here, but the fact that Cloud9 is bringing back what is more or less their classic blue and white jersey design. <laughs> Starting to smell a bit like 2018 in here. So uh gonna go with gonna go with T1 and C9 to uh finish top two in that group with EDG finishing third and Fnatic unfortunately finishing fourth. I was not very kind to Europe. <laughs> I was not very kind to Europe in my pickings because group B does not look much better for the LEC. So we've got top of group B, Dom Juan Kia. I know they absolutely choked last year when they had a chance to go back to back, but 
I think they're looking for revenge. And honestly, like the the script the script writers of uh, of worlds tipped their hand a bit this year. At least I think so. Because um T1 and T1 and Dalmon are on a collision course. I don't know where they will meet, but they are on a collision course. Because this is like I don't know if if Faker has actually acquired an exemption from South Korea's whole mandatory military service thing. But if he hasn't, he's, 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 uh, his clock is, his clock is running down a little bit. Like, let's, let's actually, let's, let's look that up. Oh, okay. So he's good. He's actually, he's actually good. That's Sportskita has a list of a bunch of Korean players and fakers near the top because that's what everyone's really looking for. <laughs> he's good. He uh, dropped out of school, which actually got him an exemption in the first place. But he will have to do something else later on, so we'll see what that ends up being. But he just might get an exemption anyway, just because of his absolutely megastar status in Korea. Like, I've, I've discussed this on the show before, but... Like, Faker's been playing forever, and he hasn't had as much international success since 2017. Like, 2017... Yeah, 2017 was the last time he even made a final. I feel like the guy wants to win one more, and then he's gonna... And he and he might and he might hang him up. I mean, th- this dude is the ultimate competitor, but it's very clear that the story of Worlds since 2020 has been the col- the potential collision of Faker and Showmaker. Like as much as he wants to avoid it, Showmaker is trying to put his name on the same pedestal as Faker. He has exactly one world championship. He needs three. He needs three plus a couple MSI wins, which he does not currently have. And, you know, a metric crap load of domestic titles. How how many does, how how many domestic titles does Faker have at this point? Like 20 or more? Like the guy's been playing forever. He's won him and SKT slash T1 have won basically every single split since he's been on the team. The entire team around him has changed multiple times at every role and he just keeps winning. Like the, their, their collision at worlds is destiny at this point. And the rest of us are just kind of waiting for it to happen. So, because it feels like the the script writers that I don't actually believe exist, it's just a meme, have uh, have tipped their hand a little bit here and 
they want to keep T1 and Damwon as far away from each other for as long as possible. Like, I could see a scenario where they set... Where they set it to where... To where they are just on opposite ends of the bracket from each other. Like, T1's at the very top, Damwon's at the bottom. So they cannot meet until finals. Like, they can't meet in semis. They cannot meet until the finals in San Francisco. But I can guarantee you this. They're they're not going to be a quarterfinals match. Because one, the quarterfinal matches are one versus two, one versus two, one versus two. And then winners play in semis. So like, they're going to, I can guarantee those two teams, unless it is impossible to avoid, they will not be a first round matchup. Can almost guarantee that much. So yeah, I have I have Dom Juan finishing top of Group B. I have uh, JDG finishing second because they're really freaking good. They're from the LPL. As much as I don't like them, just because you know China kind of having just an overall issue with them. That's, uh, but they're still really good. I have them second. I have EG third because I honestly think their best performance was against Mad Lions. And even with Danny, this is a really tough group. But again, huffing, huffing the NA Hopium a little bit because I think they will be better than G2. I don't know why, because G2 is a really good team. Evil Geniuses had to go through play-ins. G2 did not. Did they? How did... How did... Uh, how did G2 do in Europe? Did they win... Did they win Europe? They did not. They lost to Rogue. They came in second. So... Yeah, I... And, like, just with the whole Carlos thing... I'm I'm not gonna dive too much into that, but like Carlos Carlos made some kind of like black magic deal to uh to get G2 to be good, and now that he's not there anymore, I feel like it's gonna take it's gonna take them some time to uh bounce back. I know he's not a player anymore, like he was owner and CEO, and now he is neither. But I could see I could see a situation where Riot wanted to wanted to stick it to G2 a little bit and is just going to use this actually very also very stacked group to uh to do it to him. Group C, uh much easier choice. DRX and Top are the two best teams. I'm actually going to flip this because in like in most of the groups I have the LCK team finishing in first. And I don't think, like, sure, DRX finished top of their play-in group, but they had to come through play-ins, and top were, uh, where the heck's the LPL? Oh, top were, top didn't even play in playoffs. They're, they're the LPL third seed. The heck? God, the LPL's weird. 
The LPL format is incredibly weird. I don't totally understand it. Oh, this is the, this is like the qualifier thing. That makes sense. Kind of. But yeah, I, I don't have as much faith in, uh, in DRX. Cause you know, top went through the group stage. RNG had to go through play-ins. And Rogue and Gam, like, actually, no, I'm going to flip this. I'm going to have Rogue finishing second because I think they're better than DRX. They're, they're the champions of Europe and I'm being really mean to Europe in my picks here. So yeah, I got to give, I got to give second place to Rogue. I think DRX are very beatable. Like, yeah, they finished, they finished top, top of their play-in group, but their play-in group was kind of weak because like, they had Isaris and Istanbul Wildcats in their group. And Saigon were only okay. So yeah, that was Yeah. I, I gotta I gotta put DRX in, in third. And then VCS team, they're gonna finish dead last. Like the the VCS is not the minor region power it used to be. I know it's the first Worlds they've been able to go to in two years, and Saigon did not put out a great showing. And normally they're, like, the standard bearer of Vietnam. So I don't think I don't think Gam's going to be able to do much in this group. And then, Group D. Same thing here. Uh, I don't fear Gen.G all that much. They're, again, like very beatable Korea Korea kind of seemed a little top heavy this year with uh with T1 and Damwon at least from a very much outsider's perspective it seemed like the general consensus is like T1 and Damwon are a threat Genji Genji and DRX not as much but I have group D I have RNG unfortunately finishing top of the group with uh, 100 Thieves in second, call me biased, I don't care. I think I think they can do an okay job in this group. I could see, you play six games, I could see them going four and two. And that's that's going to be enough to get them past Gen G, who will probably go three and three. Like, I, I could see a world where that happens, where, or, like, 100 Thieves are able to get themselves into a tiebreaker with Gen G, and... I honestly think they're a better matchup, so I have I have faith for them to win that three three that more than likely three three tiebreaker and get themselves the four and three and get themselves the uh the second spot in that group. And unfortunately, as as cool as their name is, Flying Oyster Flying Oyster are gonna finish dead last. Their name's really cool. I, I like the origin of it because like family in Taiwanese sounds very similar to the words that would make up flying oyster. <laughs> but like they're they're PCS. PCS is a good region, they're not a great region. Like Vietnam is better. Like when that when that region split into two it uh, 
it kind of messed everything up for some of these other teams. But yeah, I I don't see I, I don't see these guys doing all that well in this group, unfortunately. As cool as I think their name is, they they don't have much of a chance. But what do you guys think? Are my pickups are my pickups just totally biased? See, I don't think they are. I only have I, I have two of the three NA teams getting through, but like I have China doing reasonably well. <laughs> Heck, I have I have three of the four Chinese teams who made it to groups getting out of groups. And I have I have two of the I have two of the four Korean teams. So I could I think I was pretty fair here. I was very mean to Europe. <laughs> I was incredibly mean to Europe. I only have one of their teams getting out, and it was their summer split champion. I was the meanest to Europe, but I, I I like memeing on on the LEC, even though as an NA fan, I have no room to do so. But what do you guys think of my picket pickums? What were yours? Uh, what matchups are you most excited for in the group stage? And uh, like looking ahead, what are you? What kind of matches are you hoping for in quarterfinals? That's I mean that's two weeks away, but that's what I got for. League of Legends. Up next, we'll uh, switch gears and get into some football. Because, my God, I have opinions. That's coming up next here on The Mashup. I don't want to talk about this game, but I know I have to. Gonna lead things off with Ravens and Bills just so I can get it out of my system. Yes, it... Like, I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon. It has been three days... I'm still incredibly angry about this. I've cooled down considerably. I'm still really mad. Because I'm not blaming it entirely on them. The Ravens defense forgot how to play football in the second half. The weather absolutely sucked. Like, these things are true. But the refs in that game should never be allowed to step foot on a football field at any level ever again. That was some of the most egregious, awful officiating I have ever seen. Offensive pass interference on Mark Andrews. Absolute joke. And of course, the big one, that roughing the passer call on Josh Allen. Like, yeah, the ball was out of his hands for about two seconds. Sure. But he barely touched him. And the flag wasn't immediate either. It didn't come until after he was bitching to the ref about it. Congratulations, Josh Allen. I used to like you. Now you're the second coming of the worst version of Tom Brady. It was identical. Get drilled. It's not... Get drilled on a big but totally clean hit. See there's no flag. Bitch to the ref that you got hit in the head when you clearly didn't. And the ref only agrees with you because you're a superstar. Congratulations, Josh Allen. You're now at the top of my shit list. Now that Ben Roethlisberger is retired and Brady's hopefully on his way out and is significantly more likable in Tampa Bay. Congratulations, Josh Allen. You're now at the top of my shit list. What, what is it with the AFC East and their best quarterbacks turning into whiny, entitled bitches? <laughs> this is two in a row now. 
And now we have to deal with another 15 years of it? Oh my God. I used to like Josh Allen. My opinion turned on a dime in the space of an afternoon. Hey, not even a full afternoon. In the space of about two and a half hours. My opinion of Josh Allen turned on a freaking dime. Yes, it is not entirely the ref's fault the Ravens lost that game. Their offense forgot how to play football in the second half. This is very true. Some of the coaching decisions were bad. I don't hate the decision to go for it on fourth, fourth down, though. Because honestly, if you kick the field goal there, you're, you're guaranteed to make it because you're right on the goal line and you have Justin Tucker. But guess what? You're still giving the ball to Josh Allen with like three and a half minutes left. There is a very real possibility, especially with that god-awful pass interference call, that they go down and score a touchdown, and instead of winning 23-20, to they win 27-23. to It's the same result, only you lose by four instead of by three. Same exact result. You still lose. You still blew a 17-point lead at home, and you're still 2-2. Two and two. Only difference. So I don't hate the decision to go for it on fourth down there. You have Lamar Jackson, you have J.K. Dobbins, you have a what is supposed to be a good offensive line, and you have Rashad Bateman. Like, yeah, go for it. No problem with that call. I have a problem with the execution. The execution was bad, but the decision to go for it was the correct call. I, I don't care what anyone says, especially the Harbaugh haters at 105.7 The Fan, which anyone outside of Maryland isn't going to know who that is, but... Ravens fans, we know, and we know that station is a joke now. At least the smart ones, not the people who uh, complain on Facebook and act like Lamar's going to get traded on on uh, on night one of the draft next year when the franchise tag exists. And he probably is going to re-sign in Baltimore no matter what. Because he, the dude's not going to go to a bad team, even if they pay him. He's Lamar freaking Jackson. He He wants to play on a good team. And he loves Baltimore. He's going to stay here. We're going to get a deal done. Because despite what that ass clown Jason LaConfora says, Steve Bashotti is a good owner. Eric DaCosta is a good GM. And, uh, oh, look. Another, <laughs> another station my chances of working at just got flushed down the toilet. It's fine. The state that station is in, I don't really want to work there anyway. Because they allow people like Jason Lockenfora and Jerry Coleman to have airtime. So I'm I'm fine with with crapping on 1057 because they're all morons. Other other than Jeremy Kahn and, and a few others, but like Jeremy Kahn has his own show, gave Plenty of airtime to Mo Gabba, so he is exempt from my hatred of 1057 the fan. He he is a good guy who just happens to work there. There's a couple others, but I don't want to get too deep into that because then this would just be a Baltimore sports media discussion. The point is, most Ravens fans know that Lamar Jackson is gonna be our long-term quarterback. Steve Bashotti is a good owner. Eric DaCosta is a good GM. John Harbaugh is a good head coach. All four of these things are true. So I don't want to hear about the, 
I don't want to hear about the Eric DaCosta sucks his GM. John Angelos is going to, I don't want to hear from the, from that crowd because the Eric DaCosta sucks his GM crowd are the same crowd that say John Angelos is going to move the Orioles to Nashville, despite no evidence to that being a thing other than the fact that he currently lives in Nashville. That's it. That is the entire basis of their evidence is that John Angelos does not live in Baltimore. That's it. And if given the choice, I'd rather live in Nashville too. <laughs> I'd still be Baltimore, Mar Baltimore and Maryland to my core, but I would prefer to live in Nashville. <laughs> but when it all boils down to the Ravens are still two and two. Yes. They've lost five games at home. What five straight games at home going back to last season when M&T Bank Stadium used to be as impenetrable of a fortress as the city of Columbus, Ohio is for the men's national soccer team. Like winning at M&T Bank Stadium was basically as much of a guarantee as the national soccer team beating Mexico to nothing in Columbus. Like as much of a guarantee. And and now they've added Cincinnati to that list because they just beat the Mexican team 2-0 in Cincinnati not that long ago. But I, I get the feeling we're going to get a Bills-Eagles Super Bowl this year. And I don't know if we're ready for that. That's going to be pure chaos. Because you introduce the ECW-ass tailgates of Bills Mafia to the home of ECW, Philadelphia, and combine them, there will be so many broken, burnt tables in the parking lot of, uh, where's the Super Bowl taking place this year? Sunday, February 12th, 2023, in Glendale. So it's, so it's at the Cardinals Stadium. It's in Arizona. There will be so many burnt and destroyed tables in that parking lot if we get a Bills-Eagles Super Bowl. God, those two weeks would be absolutely insane. <laughs> but that's that's what the trajectory is looking like, folks. As much as I hate it, the best team in the AFC right now is the Buffalo Bills. The best team in the NFC... <laughs> And the only undefeated team remaining in the NFL is the Philadelphia Eagles, who are currently sitting at 4-0. How are, how are three teams in the NFC East above 500? The Cowboys and the Giants are both 3-1, and one, and the Eagles are undefeated. And then, of course, the Commanders, who are absolute hot garbage, are 1-3. Which, you know makes sense. Meanwhile, the NFC West is just everybody's two and two. Actually, I think I think the AFC North Yeah, everybody <laughs> AFC North is pretty close. Everybody but the Steelers in the AFC North are two and two. The Steelers are one and three. And uh the Steelers only win is against the Patriots. <laughs> oh no, they they lost to the Patriots. Their only win is against the only win is against the Bengals in week one, which was an absolute fluke. And no one can tell me otherwise. The Bengals absolutely should have won that game. 
I mean, for the Ravens' sake, I'm glad they didn't, but like it would be the same thing. Or they'd be three and one. They'd be three and one. The Steelers would be zero and four, and the Ravens and the Browns would still be two and two. So yeah, it would only shake up the division a little bit. <laughs> and meanwhile, the AFC South is just a mess. The Jags are two and two. They're clearly the best team in the division, which you know is is further proof. Like how they've been playing, because they hung tough with the Eagles for most of that game. And then, weren't they really good? Didn't they look really good? Last week, they beat the crap out of the Chargers. Like, the first four weeks of the season have proven how truly awful of a head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars Urban Meyer was. Because they're 2-2 two and two with some, with, you know, absolutely dumb. They, they lost to the Commanders, which I think might end up being the biggest what-the-frick-happened-here game of the entire season. Uh, could be Steelers Bengals too. Like there were there were a couple games in Week One like that. <laughs> one of those two games will end up being the biggest. What the heck happened here? Of the entire season. And then, they they destroyed the Colts. But that that's just tradition. The Colts haven't won in Jacksonville in years. They beat the crap out of the Chargers. And they hung tough with the Eagles, who are looking like the best team in the NFL right now. So that's just further proof of how absolutely terrible Urban Meyer was as head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But this is this has just been a weird season so far. The Ravens are two and two. Both of their wins are on the road. The, the Jaguars are good. The Eagles are even better. The, the Giants are decent. The Chiefs are unremarkable at best. Like they're I mean they're three and one. they're top of the division, but they haven't looked like that loss to the Colts. that lo- loss to the Colts looms pretty large. Like, they have other wins against good teams. But they also have a win against the Cardinals, which the Cardinals aren't great this year. A loss to the Colts. And a, a win over the Bucks in Tampa. But Tom Brady's obviously distracted because him and Giselle are getting divorced. At least that's what most of the rumor is. But yeah, NFL season makes no sense this year. College football makes even less sense because one quick look at the AP Top 25 shows a couple teams I didn't expect to see here, (laughs) i.e. Kentucky in the Top 15, Wake Forest in the Top 15, Kansas and Kansas State. Uh, Kansas at 19, Kansas State at 20, Cincinnati at 24, Syracuse at 22. Like, how many traditionally basketball schools are currently in the top 25 right now? Uh, Kentucky, NC State, 
I, I wouldn't even call Wake a basketball school. They're just not traditionally really good at anything. Like, Wake was good at basketball when they had Tim Duncan and Chris Paul. That's it. So, I, like, Wake Forest, not traditionally good at all, but here they are. UCLA, UCLA's generally been considered good at both. They're just not as good at football as USC is, despite being their biggest rival. I definitely associate them more with basketball because, you know, basketball team had a winning streak that lasted, what, three, four years? Kansas, I don't associate with football at all. They're, they normally suck. No, they're 5-0. and oh. They're ranked for the first time in 13 years, and they're hosting game day this weekend against fellow just outside the top 15 team TCU. And then Syracuse is number 22. I, I would laugh my ass off if Syracuse's football team ended up being more successful than Syracuse's basketball team this year. Because anyone who's talked to me about college basketball for any length of time knows my opinion of Syracuse basketball. I really don't like them. But yeah, college football. It's, it's weird this year. Like... TCU absolutely stomped Oklahoma. Like, you're Oklahoma. How do you go on the road to TCU, like, as you're about to leave the Big 12 and join the SEC next year? You go on the road to TCU, a definitively Big 12 team who, like, hasn't truly been good at football since the, uh, the SWC dissolved. And, and merged with the former Big 8 to create the Big 12. And really, like all, all the former SWC members who didn't immediately get to join the Big 12 have all really struggled. <laughs> but they got, they got rolled on by Oklahoma. Like that was, that game was not pretty. <laughs> That game was not pretty at all. Old Miss and Kentucky, that game was just weird. Um, I that, that game was just weird. It was ugly. I don't think either of those teams are actually that good. They're just getting the benefit of the doubt because they're both in the SEC. Like Wake, Wake is an interesting team to me, mostly because... Liberty played them really tough. Clemson needed overtime to beat them. And then they got a relatively convincing win over Florida State on the road. And like winning at Florida State is not easy. Even when they're bad, winning at Florida State is is not the easiest of accomplishments. And like obviously... Other than, other than Kansas being 5-0, one of the big stories from this weekend was Georgia almost losing to Missouri. Unranked, 2-3, 7th in the SEC East, Missouri Tigers. How do you almost lose to them? Like, I know it's a road game and road games in the SEC are tough and blah, blah, blah. They're dead last in your division. You're the reigning national champions. You should have won this game 
Like, you scored 26 points in this game. That's how many you should have won by. That's that's about the number you should have won this game by. What was the what was the line on this one? Yeah, the I was close. Closing odds, Georgia minus 29 and a half. That's what that game closed at. So I was pretty close with they should have won by 26. Vegas thought they should have won by more. Like I was being nice to Missouri and just making a joke. I can't believe I was that close to what the line was. Like, I cannot believe I was that close to what the closing line was. But, yeah, they should have... Honestly, the way that game was being played, they should have lost. Missouri looked like the better team for most of that game. Then Georgia remembered, wait, we're defending national champions. We cannot... We cannot go losing to Missouri. The SEC is just weird this year. Like, all of college football is weird this year, but definitely the SEC and the Big 12. Like, the Big 12 makes absolutely no sense. Because Kansas and Kansas State are the top two. Oklahoma is in ninth out of ten. Behind Iowa State. Texas is in seventh. TCU is in fourth. Like, the Big 12 makes no sense. The the Big 12 and the SEC right now make very little sense. If you were to just look at the standings, the SEC looks normal. But if you go back and actually look at some of the games, specifically that Georgia game this weekend, Kentucky versus Ole Miss this weekend, like, the SEC and the Big 12 are weird. Like, Bama almost lost to Texas, who are looking pretty average at best. Georgia almost lost to Missouri, who are awful. Texas A&M lost to App State. Arkansas let Southeast Missouri, an FCS team, hang around for far too long, despite being ranked. Are they still... No, they're not anymore. That makes sense. They they shouldn't be. Like, App State went on the road and beat Texas A&M that same week. I don't even remember who it was. It was somebody else. Top 25. That was like week three. When the heck was that game? Because that same week... Somebody else went on the road and, like, also kicked the crap out of a team they probably should have, they probably shouldn't have. But still, like, this season's been weird. This season's been incredibly weird. Nothing at all makes sense. Like, at all. But hey, like, honestly, as a Liberty fan, I'm just sitting back and enjoying the chaos. Because we're sitting pretty right now. Three and one. Three and one. Just got a just gotta win over Old Dominion. 
as the tradition continues of Liberty getting double digit wins over Old Dominion, even in Norfolk in an even in Norfolk in an empty stadium that was mostly li- populated by Liberty fans. And then next two weeks, they've got two very easy games like UMass. UMass this weekend, Gardner-Webb for homecoming next weekend. Like, Liberty's looking at, Liberty's staring down the barrel of bowl eligibility at the end of week seven. Heading into a potentially ranked matchup with, with BYU, depending, honestly, like, depending on how Wake keeps playing, because what are Wake's next two games? Obviously, my bias is showing a little bit here, but I like talking about my team, so there. Uh, what are Wake's next two games? It's, who do they have next? They have Army. They're they're pretty heavy favorites in that game. Seventeen Three-score favorites, 17 even. And then who's their next game after that? They have a bye week. Okay, they have a bye week, week seven. Who's their, who's their week eight game? Boston College. Ugh. So... In their next, in their next game, Wake has to have a pretty dominant win, and honestly, Liberty does too over UMass. And like they could potentially, I don't think it'll happen, because JMU is getting votes and Liberty is not, despite JMU's god awful strength of schedule. Like their only impressive thing is beating App State. And, like, that's impressive, but that's more an App State choke job than anything else. Yeah, like, JMU's strength of schedule does not impress me. That That's not my bias showing at all. Yeah, yes, it is. I, I don't like JMU. <laughs> but as far as, as far as the homertastic homerdom segment of me talking about college football goes, I am very happy with Liberty is, with where Liberty is currently sitting. Like, they are one two-point conversion away from being 5-0 and and very likely being ranked. So, I'm good. And, like, they're staring down being bowl eligible, heading into the biggest home game in school history. A ranked matchup, a, a matchup with a potentially still by that time ranked BYU team, who right now is sitting at 16th. They'll probably be hovering right around that mark in three weeks. Because what's their what's their remaining schedule? Where the heck are they? Where the heck are you, BYU? Actually, let's narrow this down. Independence. Oh, they're playing Notre Dame this week. <laughs> They'll, honestly, with how Notre Dame has played this year, BYU will probably win that one. Notre Dame, Arkansas, at Liberty. Okay, yeah, they'll probably still be ranked heading into Lynchburg. And honestly, Liberty's their last real challenge on their schedule. So they're going to get up for that game. That's going to be, and that's a sellout crowd too. That's already been announced. That's going to be awesome. I am really looking forward to that game. But that's what I got for football. Up next, we'll... uh, getting to some other random stuff that I feel like talking about that doesn't deserve its own segment. That's coming up next here on the mashup.
All right, let's let's get into some other things I felt were worth discussing, but didn't deserve their own segment. Obviously, baseball season winding down to a close. Uh, Orioles played. As I'm recording this, I think the Orioles are still in the process of playing their final game of the season. Yeah, that game's still going. It looks like uh, they're probably going to lose to the Blue Jays to uh, to close the season out. But it was a doubleheader. They got the win in the first. Uh, one of the best turnarounds in Major League Baseball history. So one extra win after already being eliminated from the playoffs in crappy weather. Like, you, I can I can take that or leave that. They, they were still above 500 this year. They're still going to finish, what, 84 and 78? Which is significantly better than I, yeah, or now 83 and 79. So still significantly better than my expectations this year. Like my expectations for them was 70 wins. Like I expected 70 and 92 and I would have been happy with that. I would have been totally happy with 70 and 92. Honestly, like anything above 65, I would have been happy with. So to get 83, cool, sign me up. (laughs) Like you tell me back in March, hey, the Orioles are going to win 83 games this year. Yes, yes. Like the Orioles are going to win 83 games. Adley Rutschman's going to be heavily in the running for American League Rookie of the Year. Brandon Hyde's going to be a lo- basically a lock for manager of the year. And you'll get eliminated from playoff contention on October 1st. Yeah, I would take that every single day if you told me that back in March. Like, I would take, I would take all of that. Like, I was disappointed that the Orioles missed the playoffs this year. That is insane. Considering how bad they were last year. They lost 110 games. They lost more than 110. They won 83 this year. How can I be anything but happy with that? But let's get to the actual baseball story I wanted to talk about. 62, impressive as it may be as the American League record, is not the Major League home run record. So ESPN cutting into college football games between two teams, either from the South or from the Midwest or from Texas makes no freaking sense. Makes zero sense because there's basically no overlap in fan bases. You're just going to make people angry. Like while it was happening, I was watching the Michigan Iowa game. It was great. Nobody was cutting in. I was just seeing everyone complain about Twitter on Twitter about their games being interrupted about a non-record for a team that they either are completely apathetic about or actively despise. Because newsflash people outside of New York. People don't hate the Yankees because they're good. People hate the Yankees because your fan base is incredibly entitled. Apparently your team media is incredibly entitled. And you somehow manage to act like both you are both the lovable underdogs because a few years ago you weren't as good, but you also still try to act like you're the evil empire. You cannot be both. 
You cannot be the villains and the underdogs. If you would just embrace the fact that you're villains and everyone hates you, not because you're good, but because you're entitled whiny assholes and acknowledge that people outside of New York don't really care about Aaron Judge finish, finishing seventh all time on the home run list or the single season home run list. Because let's like, I know it's the I know it's the American League record because all the others were were Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Like Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Sammy Sosa. <laughs> like 73, Barry Bonds in 2001, 70, Mark McGuire in 98, Sammy Sosa, 66 in 98, McGuire, 65 in 99, Sammy Sosa, 64 in 01, Sosa again, 63 in 99. Aaron Judge, 62 in 2022. Roger Maris, 61 in 1961. And like, think about this. Five years ago, Giancarlo Stanton got pretty freaking close. He got to 59. And uh, no one was making this big a deal out of it. Especially not, especially not Roger Maris's attention whore of a son. Like, my God. Th this story was not about you. This story was about Aaron Judge. Like, yeah, it's your dad's record. This story wasn't about you. <laughs> it never was. And for the love of God, Yankees fans complaining about the Orioles pitchers not throwing meatballs to Judge so he could hit 62 because our season is over. You might as well be remembered for something. Hey, our pitchers are about to be star... Most of our pitchers are about to be stars in their own right within the next two years. Like, most of the Orioles pitching core are about to be stars on their own. And, despite what you may think, the Orioles do not exist to serve you. The Orioles and Yankees are rivals. We're not just going to hand you the American League single season home run record. Like, oh, you'll never be a trivia question. You'll never be remembered for anything else. Shut up. Like, most of these guys in the next couple years could very well contribute to an Orioles World Series. Yes, I am putting that out there. Like, Adley Rutschman just put up one of the most impressive years by a rookie catcher ever. And he did not get called up to the big league club until the middle of May. Like, he broke an Orioles franchise record held by Cal Ripken Jr. I think he tied it. Either way, if you break the... If you come even close to sniffing the rookie record of probably the best player in team history, one of the best players of all time. And Yankees fans, he's a better shortstop than Jeter. I didn't even play shortstop his entire career. I knew him exclusively as a third baseman. Like, when I started watching baseball, he had already moved to third base. And he played another three, four years after that. So, 
shove it, Yankees fans. The Orioles do not exist to serve you. They don't give a crap about being the trivia question about, oh, you're this pitcher who did nothing of note. One, those pitchers are going to do other things of note because honestly, we're going to win a World Series before you do. I know what I'm putting out there when I say that, but the Orioles are going to win a World Series before the Yankees do. Because unlike Lamar Jackson, Aaron Judge is probably going to leave the Yankees this offseason. Unlike Lamar Jackson leaving the Ravens, Aaron Judge is walking. Because Hal Steinbrenner's cheap. And I can't wait to see Yankees fans suffer under a cheap owner. Like, truly suffer under a cheap owner. The way the Orioles have for years. Because the Orioles are probably about to get sold. And Steve Bashotti is probably going to come get a bunch of his other rich friends together, probably including Cal Ripken. Like, I could see... Steve Bashotti, Cal Ripken, Kevin Plank, the three of them could absolutely afford to run the Orioles together. And with all that mass and money, they absolutely intend to spend. And probably selling the broadcast rights back to the Nats so they can just be on CSN Mid-Atlantic, which honestly would be better. And actually pump some money back into Masson's production quality. Like, the Orioles are more likely to win a World Series in the next five years than the Yankees are. So, congratulations Aaron Judge on becoming seventh all-time on the single-season home run list. And the American League record, that is impressive. Like, that, that is legitimately the American League record. Because the top six are were all in the National League. They were on the Giants, the Cubs, and uh, the Cardinals. So all National League teams. So it is legitimately the American League record. It's not the Major League record. The Major League record is 73. Put all the asterisks you want on it. The Major League record is 73. Until those records go and get completely scrubbed from the books, which baseball would never do, the record is 73. And... My God. And the funniest part is, after all the Yankees fans and media were, were bitching about uh, the Orioles walking judge, he struck out five times this weekend. He struck out more than he walked. I, I'm just glad the Orioles weren't on the receiving end of him getting number 62, because that would have been truly insufferable. It was It was bad enough that Every college football game during the early window and the first part of the afternoon window was getting interrupted because of it. But I also take great pride in knowing that it probably made a lot of college football fans happy that at least he struck out. But also, you interrupted my game to watch him strike out. <laughs> but yeah, that I, I'm just glad it's over. And as far as, uh, I'll, I'll give an actual, like, legit World Series pick, pick next week after, because I think, yeah, the wild, the wild card games start on, uh, on Friday. So I will probably, I'll probably give my pick, I'll probably start my picks when the, um, AL and NLDS start. Because uh, the wild cards, even though it's a three-game series now, are such an absolute crapshoot. It's it's tough to call. If I had if I had to pick, I 
hopefully it would be Mariners and Rays because I think that would lead to a better series with the Yankees and the Astros. But yeah, that's that's my little baseball tangent. Let's uh, let's wrap up with uh, some extra gaming news that obviously both games are kind of in a holding pattern at this point. But what why are we talking about Call of Duty twenty twenty five? Like Modern Warfare two doesn't come out for another three and a half weeks. Modern Warfare two comes out on the twenty eighth. And like, sure, we'll be able to play campaign on the on the twentieth or the twenty first, but like, the the game doesn't come out. The multiplayer doesn't come out till the twenty eighth. What? And there is a Treyarch game coming in twenty twenty four. Why are we talking about the potential of AW two, which isn't going to come out for another three years? And then Charlie Intel, thank God, hit the Twitter machine and said, "No, they are not working on AW two, which good because you can see this you can see this on my twitter my opinion hasn't changed if you're gonna go back to the jetpack well which i don't think activision is gonna do because they're afraid of skill gaps if you're gonna go back to the jetpack well don't base it on aw base it on bo3 because <laughs> advanced warfare was not a good game and honestly why why are sledgehammer still lead devs on COD games. They've gone 0 for 3. And their worst miss, Vanguard, is probably the worst Call of Duty game ever made. And all three of their games are probably consensus bottom five. Because, like, the other two would probably be... The other two would probably be what? Infinite Warfare and a lot of people I've seen a lot of people come around on Ghosts this year which like it's a 10 year old game where were you in 2012 or no 2013 Black Ops 2 was 2012 that was a great game but if if you're going to go back to the well on jetpacks and advanced movement Advanced Warfare is not the game to base it on that game was absolutely terrible and in my other favorite first-person shooter news, uh, rumors are Halo's going to switch to Unreal Engine 5, which, um, yes, please. Slipstream's not good. Slipstream's not a good engine, and it's an absolute mess. Like, it's just pure spaghetti code right now. Like, please switch to UE5. I don't know how you would do that, because I genuinely don't understand coding. But I feel like building Halo on Unreal Engine instead of the absolute mess that is the Slipstream Engine right now would be so much better. Like, it would take some tweaking to make a game built on Unreal feel like Halo. I get that. But my god, it's got to be better than what we have now. And, like, give the menus and the UI some actual personality. Make it not super buggy. Make the servers more stable. Make the game look better. Like, Infinite's a good game. I have said that before, but the engine, the engine's a mess. And building it on UE would be a massive improvement. But that's what I got for the show this week. Hope you all enjoyed. 
Hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. And I will be back on Wednesday next week. I am going to record on Tuesday. But uh, until then, see you guys next time. When the game is close And the yokes are hot There's a thundering roar from 34 To give it all they've got And you never know Who's gonna hear the call Every game does a different star That's the magic of all real baseball Magic happens